Welcome to Medicare for All Explained. This podcast will enlighten our listeners and dispel the distortions that surround Medicare for All. Medicare for All Explained is produced in collaboration with Physicians for a National Health Program and is hosted and produced by Joe Sparks. I'm your host, Joe Sparks. This is episode 56, How Medicare for All Would Benefit People with Disabilities in the LGBTQIA Community. My guest, Rosie Bean, has been politically engaged from an early age. They are part of the LGBTQIA community and a disabled individual. This has made the fight for justice personal for Rosie. They started out as a moderate liberal Democrat, but had a political awakening that caused them to become more progressive. Rosie started their own political group called FLIP, Feminists, Liberals, Independents, and Progressives, and is an activist for Medicare for All. Rosie Bean, welcome to Medicare for All Explained. Good afternoon. Thank you, Joe. Thank you so much for having me. You are an LBGTQ activist. You are a disabled rights activist. And you are a Medicare for All activist. Well, we'll start with the disabled activists. And what problems do disabled people have getting health care that they need? Well, the disabled community faces many barriers in getting adequate health care they need. It also depends on your level of disability also. Some people are um, more impacted by the disability than others. So, like, in my case, I feel I am moderately disabled. I am um, legally deaf, and I have learning disabilities. And I'm still able to function on my own. I just need um, a little bit of extra help with things. But then there are some people that may be blind with vision impairments, or there's some people that may have, um, you know, neurological um, disabilities, or there may be some people that are pressure bound. So it all, uh, I guess, depends on a level of disability. So let me just say, when I found out you were legally deaf, I was very surprised. And I'm very impressed that you're willing to do a podcast, even if you are legally deaf. So thank you. Thank you. And I never would have guessed that, just from my interactions with you previously. Oh, well, thank you. That's such a pleasant surprise to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) I've always been a little self-conscious, I guess, uh, because I feel like I do have a list and... um, Hearing aids, um, I know you feel like that's one of the first, first things people notice about me. So I appreciate that. Well, most of our interactions have been since the pandemic, which means Zoom or telephone or something. So really, I haven't had a chance to see you face to face. So. Yes. Yes. So. We were talking about that, depending on the level of incapacity, disabled people can have trouble getting health care, but 
what makes it harder? What in the system makes it hard to get health care for disabled people? Well, a lot of disabled individuals have trouble getting adequate um, health care. It's because they can't advocate for their own health care and they don't know how to advocate for their own health care. And that's one of the big barriers still that we see. And then a lot of doctors and hospitals and stuff just brush off disabilities and think some disabilities aren't as important as others. Especially um, some, I call them hidden disabilities, you know. They're not on the surface. They're not what? And then they're not on the surface. You can't see them right away. Oh, not okay. everybody would know you would have a disability. And then what also makes it, uh, I feel, tough for people with disabilities, it's hard for people with disabilities to get on uh, SSDI. And the system is very complicated and they don't make it easy to be able to do it. Well, to say that they often don't make it easy is an understatement. Isn't there a fairly long waiting period from the moment you apply until you find out? Yes, it is. It's a very, very long process. I am on SSCI at the moment, and I had to fight for about six years to get mine. And I had to go through appeals, hearings, and I had to hire a lawyer. So it's it's a very long, complicated process. And um, I was very lucky to be able to be awarded mine. And I was able to have advocates and people that understood the system to help me, but not everybody is as lucky to be able to do that. And I feel a lot of people, unfortunately, fall through the cracks of the system and aren't awarded it. We definitely need it. And then... There's some individuals who don't need it or avoided it, so. From what I've heard, generally it takes a couple of appeals before it is awarded, before SSDI is awarded. Do you know if yes, that is that is correct. I um, did two appeals. I applied and I was denied and then I didn't want to appeal and that took a while to go through the process. And then I did another appeal that took a while to go through the process. And I was denied that appeal. And then the next step is getting a lawyer that will take your case and also getting all the correct documentation and everything like that to prove you are disabled. And um, then you would have to go for a judge and your lawyer would set your case for you and everything. And sometimes you don't always even get it after you appear as a disability judge. So basically what we're doing is we have a system, we have people who have problems, and we decide that we're going to give them more problems before they can get help. Exactly. Exactly. It's going to make it twice as hard to be able to get it. And um, also not everybody has the capacity to hire lawyers and everything like that also in the knowledge. So it's, it's a complicated system like everything is in America. They make it twice as hard for you to be able to get your rights. <laughs> so once you got the SSDI after those six long years, did getting the SSDI have any impact 
on your life? Oh, it uh, it had a huge impact on my life. My life uh, completely changed for the better. I was able to purchase hearing aids for the first time. I've always had hearing aids, but I was able to purchase top-of-the-line hearing aids that was enabled me to be able to talk on the phone and um, attend um, meetings with people and things and be able to hear perfectly. And also, it gave me the freedom to be able to get independent, be able to get my license and go out and drive and not have to depend on other people. So SSCI was absolutely a blessing, and it changed my life 100%. I wasn't having to be dependent on anybody anymore. And I felt like I was able to interact with the world better now. I didn't, I wasn't as isolated. And that just goes to show how allowing people to get the medical care that they need or the medical devices that they need could have a profound impact on their lives. And I think that's a really important point. It is. It is. And that's the great thing about the new Medicare for All bill that's in the House. It's going to include hearing aids. So people that are deaf, they'll be able to get not the cheap old but top-of-the-line hearing aids that will improve their lives. And, I mean, in personal experience, I mean, it's night and day. It's night and day. Just, it's, it's kind of amazing how one little thing can just change the whole aspect of your life. Just one little electronic device. <laughs> well, I think that's an important point. Before we get to LBGTQ rights, I'd like to ask, how else do you think Medicare for All would help people with disabilities? I think Medicare for All would help is because you would not have to worry about going through all these strenuous appeals process and the waiting and having to find out, am I going to get it? Am I not going to get it? And it takes a financial and emotional toll on individuals, and it would just make it easier because you have health insurance no matter what, and you're going to have the adequate health insurance to your needs. Whatever your disability is, it's going to be met with your treatment. So that's my goal. I hope that will help with the Medicare for All system. You know, you don't have to go through those scoops and jumps just to get your health insurance. And it'd be more like a fire department. You need something, you just call up the fire department. And then this way, if you needed something medical, you just call up your doctor and get it. I mean, obviously, that's a little bit of an oversimplification, but basically it becomes a simple process instead of a very complicated process. Exactly, a simple process. And everything, all your medical methods would be in a centralized system and everything. You wouldn't have to go through the headache of talking to one person the next for your records. It would, it would make everything a lot simpler. Well, that's true for healthcare for people who even are not disabled. Exactly. The other thing I'd like to ask about is, as I said, you are an LBGTQ activist. And what are some specific problems that you feel the healthcare system has in addressing the problems of that community? 
Well, I feel like LBGTQ rights is under attack right now, specifically with gender discrimination laws being passed around the country right now. So we're being denied access to us our medical care with that. So, you know, that's a barrier. The LBGTQ community has always been fighting for adequate health care, just like everybody else, but it's just nasty bigotry, bigotry a little bit more. But some Republicans and Democrats, so. Well, one of the things, it's not just a question of fighting for health care during the HIV AIDS when that started. It was also a question you were literally denied health care in a lot of states, and particularly when Reagan was president, weren't really doing anything about it. In fact, I think Reagan's response to AIDS was as good as Trump's response to COVID-19, which is to say it was horrible and many more people died because of it. You are 100% correct. You're not the first person I've heard make that that link between Trump and Reagan with the pandemic and the AIDS pandemic. Yes, and, you know, during the AIDS pandemic, we have thought it's subhuman. You know, it's just, the gay people saying it's not a problem, you know, we're subhuman, we don't care about these people, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's always, I feel like it's kind of always been them, their thing. We don't need to worry about them. And obviously we need to worry about everybody. So... Do you have any specific examples where you feel that specific. that somebody in your community was denied health care because of their sexual orientation? I have not had um, any things with anybody in my community, personal experiences, but I know stories and things like that. But, you know, um, one thing I feel like it would be easier with Medicare for All is um, I hope that people that want to be able to transition would be able to transition easier, you know, and be able to afford their hormone treatment. You know, you would be aware of it for free. You wouldn't be, even have to be able to afford it because, you know, that's medical expense. It's expensive, just like a prescription. So not a lot of people can afford it right now, and that's why they can't transition. Well, One of the things, too, is for somebody going through that, I would assume that it's a tough transition, it's a hard thing to do, and that one thing that would help would be mental health services. And I've covered this in other podcasts, but the way our system handles mental health is generally poorly, and we don't have enough mental health professionals. So do you think that Medicare for All would just help people with the psychological aspects if they decided they wanted to do that transition? I think it it would help people a lot with that aspect, but also one of the problems in the system, we don't have a lot of therapists that are trained in the mental health aspects for LGBTQ people and everything, especially the transgender individual. We don't have a lot of therapists like that. 
So is one of your hopes that Medicare for All will allow more therapists to get training in how to deal with people who want to transition? Yes, that is one of my hopes that will happen with Medicare for All. We will have more trained professionals in the field that be able to help people that want to transition and also people struggling with mental illness in general, with being LGBTQ and with disabilities. So it's kind of a, it's a dual-pronged approach with me. So when you put this all together, the combination of helping this disabled community and helping people in the LBGTQ community, is there anything else that you hope Medicare for All will accomplish for both of these communities? I am hoping Medicare for All will help us be seen more, and we won't. We're always going to have to fight, but we won't have to fight as hard for the things we need because healthcare automatically it will be a human right and it will be there. So that's one of my hopes, and we won't always have to be fighting the system and we'll all be able to get the equal access that we need. But we will get there. We will get there. And I feel like the big thing is, you know, I feel like sometimes as progressives, we have all our little groups and stuff we are aligned with and everything, but we don't always come together and think of the bigger picture with all the different minorities and subgroups in the progressive community. So it's going to take all hands on deck to get Medicare for all. And to educate people. we got to educate the general public, too, because not everybody knows what Medicare for all is. Yeah. Not only do they need to know what it is, they would need to know why it could benefit both them, their communities, and the country. And there is so much lies being spread that it's hard to counteract that. And as you know, that's one of the major problems. It is it's one of the major problems. And, you know, we need to counteract those lies <laughs> and, you know, get the right information out there and everything. So it's, um, it's a battle, but we will, we will get there. We will get there. I always tell people you gotta be your own advocate. You gotta advocate for the things you want. No one else is gonna get it for you. You gotta do it. And what it seems like is one of the nice things about Medicare for All is basically it would be one less thing that these communities would need to worry about. And it would be one less thing that anybody would need to worry about because they wouldn't have to worry about getting health care and paying for it. They could get health care and not have to worry about it. Exactly. And, and it gives you more freedom to do other things and pay for other expenses and everything not just be piled under medical debt and everything. And I like to think of Medicare for all about freedom also. It's going to give you a freedom to live and not always do like you tie down tie your health care. So, Rosie, I think your points about freedom are important and how it'll help everybody. And 
Thank you so much for being on Medicare for All Explained. Well, thank you, Joe, for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you for letting me advocate for my community. You have been listening to Medicare for All Explained. Remember to tell your family, friends, and colleagues about this podcast. Information about Medicare for All Explained can be found at our website, medicareforallexplained.org. The music for this show is Super Bubbly by Jesse Spillane. The logo was created by Lily Sparks. Thank you for listening.